for those who were here last week, you are going to hear some repeats just because we have to get everyone on the same page, but I won't repeat everything so you won't die of boredom. Um, this Bible study, lesson, course, whatever you want to call it, stems from a place of it was something I did um, a few years into what I thought was being saved. I thought I was a Christian for many years. I had all this biblical knowledge in my head. Um, I told everyone last week, the pastor's son could compete with me and I would head it out of the park. I knew the Bible so well. And I thought I was wise and smart and I knew everything and I was definitely going to heaven. And I could tell everyone else how to get there too because I definitely had it down. Um, and so I finally went to university, so I was free from boarding school, and I could finally attend some of the courses that my church offered. So I attended this course that we're doing today, um, and everything changed for me after that. This course is the first in a series of five, and each one gets more and more and more intense. I didn't know it when I first did it, so I did the first one, and I was like, whoa. This is amazing. Nothing's going to top this. And then the next one would come and it would blow me out of the park. And then the next one, I would be wrecked and just so overtaken with what God was doing. I was like, wow, nothing can beat this. And then the fourth one would come in. I was never the same after each one. And it saddened me that not every single Christian could go through all five. Because I see many believers who get stuck at certain points in their walk. And they just can never get past wherever they stop. And that stopping point is different for everyone. For some of us, you know, we've been mature Christians for a while. And we just kind of hit a ceiling and we don't know how to get past it. For some of us, um, whether or not you've been a Christian a long time, you might feel like, I've been doing this a while, but I don't know. Is this it? Like, I love God and I want to go to heaven. And I think I'm pretty good and I try to listen to what this book tells me to do, but there's just something missing. And perhaps it's because you've read the word of God and you've seen what's happening in here and you're thinking, that's not happening in my life. Or maybe you've met some people who they just seem to have a different type of relationship with God than you do. And you can't understand why that's not happening for you. And there are so many reasons why that could be happening in your life. And I want everyone to be able to have a deep, alive, passionate relationship with God, just like the disciples did, just like all the New Testament believers did. And so to do that, I have to start at the bottom. I have to presume that you all know nothing. Now I know that you know more than nothing. But I have to start there because I have to build everything up from the bottom. And that's why the original courses are called foundations. Because it's literally building up a house. You are that house. Jesus Christ is the foundation of that house. As long as each of us have him as a foundation, we're saved. But depending on what you use to build that house will determine the success you have in your life, the relationship you have with God, your influence, your calling, your ministry, and your eternal reward in heaven. 
And so I want to build us all up and get us to a place where we're victorious and we're having a deep and intimate relationship with God. And so I'm going to ask again, like I did last time, if we're at a section in this course and you're like, oh my word, this is so obvious. I know this. Be humble, be teachable, allow God to come and remind you of things you may have forgotten, even though they were obvious and wait. I promised everyone last week and I'll promise everyone again. If you stick in through this eight week process, something radical will happen at some point. If you stay and you apply what we're taught here, I promise you, you will leave changed. There is no possible way that you can't leave changed because the things we're going to discuss through these courses are going to be the same things that had radical impact on the disciples lives and were the reason why they could do the things they did and why they walked in victory and why they could preach and 3000 people could get saved or why their shadow fell on someone and they were healed. You know, I made a joke earlier about, Oh, you last week, Deanna missed someone's leg growing back and we saw into the spiritual realm. And that was a joke that didn't happen. But the truth is that's what the church is supposed to be like. The word of God says that every time we gather together, every single person is supposed to be bringing something to the body of Christ. You are not meant to be an observer of the body. You are part of it. What part you are is determined by God, but every single part of the body has a function. Yes, that's even a toe. She's, uh, <laughs> she's, she's a toe. <laughs> You're the toe. I just cut it. Well, did you know that if you cut off your big toe, you'll have a problem with balance and you have to learn to rebalance your body? <laughs> Every single part is valuable. And the problem is that a lot of people feel like they're only in church to receive from the pastor and from the leaders when God has ordained each of us to give something. And if you're not giving it, the whole body is suffering. Or if you're trying to be a part of the body that you're not, the body suffers. If every single person tries to be a hand, no one will be able to walk. If every single person tries to be a mouth, no one will be able to hear. Each of us has a function and a calling. And I hope that as we go through the course, we'll get to a point where we can start to discuss that. But first we have to build those foundations. Um, in Hebrews, I'm going to read it again. We read it last week in Hebrews 6, verse 1, 2, 2. It says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection from the dead, and of eternal judgment. <clears throat> Here, the writer, I can't say Paul because most people don't believe it's Paul, though I believe it's Paul, but that's my personal opinion. The writer of Hebrews says, Cassandra version, why are we still discussing these things? Like these are the basics. Can we agree on these things so that we can move on to maturity? And so where we're going to start is we're going to start with a lot of the things he mentioned that are um, considered foundations of our faith. 
And I hope we can get a place where we're all on the same page so that we can move on to the stuff that's going to really start to radically transform your lives. I'm going to repeat something I said last week again. Please don't believe anything I say ever unless you have first checked it in the Bible. I'm a human and I make mistakes. I do my utmost to make sure that everything that I will teach you is the truth. Because as I said last week, I take this very seriously. You're not just people who came into my house and you're here for dinner and we're having a good time. The moment you sat down here in the spiritual realm, God gave me a stewardship over your soul and I will be held accountable on judgment day for how I looked after it. If I lie to you, the Bible says it's better that a stone was hung around my neck and I was thrown into a lake and drowned. It says that let not many of you seek to be teachers knowing you shall receive a stricter judgment. I will be judged stricter on judgment day because I chose to lead a small group. And I take that very seriously. And so I try as best I can to not only preach the truth, but to live the truth. And so I encourage you all, especially those who live with me all the time, <laughs> to point out sin in my life and error because, because I'm going to re receive two whoopings where you would have received one whooping. I would appreciate you keeping me accountable to make sure that I am practicing what I'm preaching. I also encourage you, like I said, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. If what I teach you think is wrong, come to me, but I don't want to hear your opinion. I want to hear scripture. If you can prove to me from the word of God that I'm wrong, I won't only repent to you. I will repent to every single person in this group publicly and admit I'm wrong. We will send a re-recording where I corrected whatever I said and we'll send it out to everyone so that they know I was mistaken on something. No person will get to heaven having got everything right. I know I'll get there and find out I was at least wrong on one thing. I pray it's only one thing, but it'll definitely be at least one. But here's the flip side of that. If I am teaching something and it is in here, you are no longer ignorant of it. You have been warned and you have been taught. There are two types of teachings. Ones that warn you of things you shouldn't do and ones that tell you of things you should do. If you then do things you've been warned not to do, you too will receive a stricter judgment because you know better. There's no more ignorance to cover you. Paul says, I wouldn't have known I was sinning if I hadn't known the law beforehand. So once you know how things should go and you verified it in the word, if you still turn and do the opposite, God is not going to take it very lightly. But he also says that he will that that he will not take it lightly. But it is biblical and it is said, you know, through in the Bible that you once you know that you're doing something wrong, you will be held accountable for it. Um, also, what Eric is doing, this is not a monologue. Usually when I lead small groups, um, I have more interaction. Because of the type of thing that we're doing, it's kind of a bit more me talking. But at any stage, if you have a question 
or you have an opinion or you have a story that relates to it, feel free to interject and tell. Um, back to us saying the opposite thing is when you are told of something you should do. All right. Now, some of those things that you should do, if you don't do them, they're also sin. But there's things that you're told to do that if you don't do, they're not sin, but you're disadvantaging yourself. A lot of the things that we're going to discuss, especially in the beginning, because we're laying foundations, are going to be things that if you apply to your life, your Christian walk will be better and more fruitful and your relationship with God will grow. If you don't, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you've truly been saved, you will still go to heaven. But you're not going to get there as easily and as nicely and as wonderfully as you could if you applied the principles that, that God has given us. Um, I'm going to use my same illustration. Forgive me for those who were here last week. If you want to get to Georgia and I tell you walk, I promise you won't die. Just walk. Can you get there? Yes. It's possible. Is it going to be nice? No. Are you going to smell nice when you get there? No. Are you going to be tired? Probably. You're going to be dirty? Yes. All right. I'm not talking about your house now. Talk about oh, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> All right, and what if I said, Diana, go to Georgia, but here's a bicycle. Will you get to Georgia? Yes. Will you get there better than she did trying to walk there? No. I guess Andrew wouldn't either. <laughs> well, I can't ride a bike, so I would. I can't either, so. Bad <laughs> <laughs> <That> example. <laughs> oh, all right. But for this purpose, yes. <laughs> In theory. All right. In theory, yes. In theory. In theory. Um, you'll get there better than her, but you'll still be a little tired, a little dirty, aggravated, sunburnt, right? Right. All right. But now, Jared, if I said go to Georgia, he has a car. You'll get there faster, get there better, can listen to music while you're doing it, you know? Sheltered from the sun, air conditioning, right? Yannick, if I say here's a plane ticket. I mean, you're just soaring there. What you gonna? What's like thirty minutes or something? Just right. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's what a lot of these principles are gonna be. Things you can apply to your life to help you get where you're supposed to be quicker and easier and with less damage from the world. All right. So I just want to check. I have the same pages in my old book versus the new book. If you're on page three, are you seeing ten truths about salvation? On page three, I see, is, mm, I see church two. Oh, okay. Two. So I am one page ahead. Okay. So I always have to minus one. Okay. So page two? Mm-hmm. Two. <laughs> okay. Um, we discussed, if I remember, two of these truths last week. Can anyone validate I'm that? I'm pretty sure it was three, but we'll, okay. let's just okay. try to. So the, the first two. thing we're going through, and I'm going to quickly rush through the ones that we did was we're doing the 10 truths of salvation. So if you've truly been saved, this is how you can know. These things should have happened in your life, some more than others, some at different times, but you should have had a revelation of these things. Um, The first is a new birth. You are born again. You are saved by Jesus. You're not just changed. You're literally born again. You're made new. God doesn't come and fix you. 
he comes and gives you a whole new birth. Your spirit was dead and it's now alive. Um, and then we went through a new creation. A new creation that's page, on page, page three. three. Thanks, Eric. Um, I'm going to probably keep asking for pages just to make sure. Um, when you're a new creation, there are certain things that change. I'm going to read through the arrows quickly. You should experience a new peace of heart and mind. You should feel clean on the inside. You should have a desire to attend church. You should feel that you want to be in the family of God. Your old habits begin to fall away. Is this on the next page? Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow, okay. <laughs> uh, you begin to acquire a new set of values and you begin to desire to read the Bible. Um, like I said, some of these things will happen instantaneously. Some of them will take some time. But I always tell people that if you had to draw a graph of your life, so going up the y-axis is your closeness to God, your intimacy with God, your ability to live holy, and the x-axis is time, you should be going like this, like slowly up. There will be times when you go down and you'll have bad times, but if I had to draw a trend line through that graph, I'll see that you're becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus over time. If you're seeing this, one, that's impossible. In the spiritual world, you're either going up or you're going down. There's never a plateau. So if you haven't seen yourself become more like Jesus since the day that you think you got saved, I would, as controversial as it may sound, question your salvation. Now, that might bother some people. But here's the thing, that's a good thing to hear. Because if no one's ever told you that you should examine yourself and check whether you really are in the body of Christ, then you haven't been surrounding yourself with proper Christians. We throughout our lives should be examining our lives according to this book and checking that we're in line with it. If you're not looking like Jesus and you got saved five years ago, three years ago, and nothing in your life has propelled you to become more like him, I would say question whether you truly are saved. And because you're questioning it, it gives you an opportunity to truly become saved. So I hope that if there's anyone in this room that is questioning it as we go through this course, that you aren't discouraged, but instead are encouraged that there is still a salvation that's available to you. And please feel free to stay behind afterwards and talk to me or if you're a guy and you prefer to talk to Eric or Yannick, feel free and we'll pray with you and we'll discuss it further. But I don't want to spend too much time on it right now. Um, also, I just want to note that your walk is not someone else's walk. So as long as your trend line is, trend line is going up, you're good. It doesn't matter the gradient. I don't know if I'm using too much math here, guys. But. No, I, even I can understand it. I was homeschooled. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't know about this homeschool. I'll, I'll use my arm. If your trend is very slow, but it's still up, you're fine. Don't compare yourself to someone else that's like becoming like Jesus in a day. All right? As long as you're going up, that's what matters. Christ wants you to become more and more like him. No one will ever be exactly like him. So technically, we're all going to be growing until the day we die. And I believe even in eternity, we're still going to be developing our knowledge, our spiritual health, because not that we'll have a sin life anymore, 
but we will never know all there is to know about God and we'll never truly be like him. So I believe we'll constantly be learning and transforming and becoming more glorious and more like him as time goes by. Yeah, just a quick confession. It, just as like somebody who is married to this amazing woman, even I struggle with that. Like, am, am I still growing as a Christian? I mean, because something that she said in one of the notes was they feel they want to be in the family of God, being around people who are also Christians. And I, I struggle with that because I've um, just had a hard time in the world just being around people. And I just don't trust people. And um, so even I struggle uh, a lot with with things. So if you if anyone felt discouraged, even even just know that you are not alone. Even I struggle with a lot of things. Right. I don't know if I did number three last week, but I am gonna camp here for a second because even if I did it, there was something I wanted to say that I didn't say. All right. So on page four, four. Uh, truth number three: a new family. We all know that we become children of God when we get saved. But there's a lot more that comes along with that. Jesus becomes our brother, our big brother, who we aspire to be like. Who's not annoying like Eric was to all his little brothers and doesn't tease them and make their life miserable. But he's there to encourage you and Jesus help will you. never tell you to make him a sandwich. <laughs> uh, he might tell you to bring him water. That's fine. Not <laughs> all right. Um, you have, in my opinion, and I'll always say when something is my opinion, uh, you have the Holy Spirit who takes more of a motherly role. It's not that the Trinity has genders, but the Trinity as a whole portrays all the positive facets of each gender. Okay. And the Holy Spirit seems to adopt more of the things we ascribe to females, compassion, gentleness, love, you know, where I'm going. I'm not one of those females. I'm, eh, I'm still learning. No. But <laughs> the rest of you, I'm sure all the females know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm the Holy Spirit in this relationship. Oh <laughs> <laughs> my God, the Father. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. I hope that wasn't blessed for me. Sorry, God. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, and then, of course, God takes on a role as a father. And we also know that Jesus also takes a role as a husband. God relates to us, I believe, in seasons through different ways. When I first got saved, I really needed a father. Bad. Because I had a... As I mentioned while we were eating, I didn't have an easy childhood. And I had a dad who was very erratic and would blow up for the smallest thing. And my mom sheltered me from a lot of what was happening. And I only found out what was really going on behind closed doors as I got older. But he used to hit her. And he was very verbally, ver verbally abusive um, to both her and me. Um, and, uh, we never confirmed it, but we believe that my dad did cheat on my mom more than once. And they eventually did get divorced. Um, something that my mom still grieves over today, unfortunately. Um, but when that happened, my dad disappeared. Like he just 
he moved and he just didn't contact me again um i saw him again in courts because my mom hired private investigators to try and find him um and sometimes they would and when they would he'd get called to court and she'd ask for child support and he'd have excuses and i one time had to testify uh against him and so i saw him at court and I saw him when I was 18 at my grandmother's funeral, which was his mom, um, where he told me that he loved me. Um, and he wanted to keep in contact with me. And then I left the funeral. It was in another, it was outside of the country. Um, and I never, 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 never heard from him again after that. That was the last time I saw him was at my grandmother's funeral when I was 18. And I have a very harsh, stern, strong personality. So on the surface, I was fine. Like, I was happy my parents got divorced. I wasn't Christian. Um, <laughs> and I was happy to be free of him because I thought my mom was the best mom ever. And he was such a terrible dad. And um, now I could just be with my mom. And it was great. And... I didn't know that spiritually and emotionally I had been very damaged through my father. And I started to seek love, affection, attention through boyfriends. I had so many, it was ridiculous. Um, most of them wouldn't last like a month to three months. Well, three months was like a miracle if it made it that far. Um, but I kept not at the time i didn't realize this till i did foundations course three um i was seeking a father in a boyfriend and because no boyfriend is meant to be a father the relationship would never work and it would be unhealthy and it would just damage me more because every relationship i had that was ungodly would just destroy my soul a little more each time and when i got saved the first thing that God did was show me that he was a father and a good one and to be honest I didn't even really know what that looked like so I accepted it in my head God is a good father but it didn't really always resonate in my soul so for example there would be times when I would sin and I would repent of my sin genuinely repent but I would, I would, I, I, I couldn't let go of it. I kept waiting to see how I would be punished for what I'd done. And I, I just felt God is angry. And why have I, I did it again. And I'm so terrible. And I would just have a lot of guilt and a lot of condemnation from the enemy. But I didn't realize it then. I just, and I would look, I would wait. If anything bad happened, I'd be like, well, is that a punishment for that sin I did? Um, and one day I was walking to class. I didn't know what I'd done or what I was upset about, but I was mulling over in my head something I had done wrong, which I'd asked for forgiveness for so many times, but I still just felt so guilty about it. And God said to me, I am not your father. I am not waiting for you to make a mistake so that I can scream and shout at you and punish you. I want you to repent. But when you repent, it's over. There is no punishment. Jesus took the punishment. Sin sometimes has 
consequences which you cannot avoid, but the punishment is gone. God is not waiting for an opportunity to smack me over the head. And that might seem like pretty common knowledge to you, but that had not resonated in my spirit yet. Um, when I did Foundations 3, um, there was a section where we got to worship God. And again, he came as a father. And he said to me, there's, and again, this sounds like I knew it, but the only reason I can say everything I said was because of all these things. So I didn't know what I was doing with all those boyfriends. Um, and I continued to have all these boyfriends even after I got saved. Um, and I was doing Foundations 3, and I was worshiping God, and he said to me, out the blue, I wasn't even praying about it, I was just worshiping. He said, you've had a hole in your heart for a very long time that you've been trying to fill with boyfriends. Today is the day I will come and I will fill it with me. <laughs> that was one of my turning points. That was so much healing for me. And I can tell you other stories, but I don't want to spend too much time on one topic. But God came and revealed himself as a father. But then there came a time where I no longer needed a father figure. I needed a husband figure. I, God and I were cool in terms of the father-daughter thing, but I was at a point where I was more mature in my faith, but I was alone. Like, I had no one. All my friends were either dating, engaged, married, and I was alone. And as time went on, I felt more and more singled out and like I was lost and ignored and the lost chosen. And then God had to come and teach me what it is for him to be my husband. And I had to learn to get my love and acceptance and romance, as crazy that, as that may sound, from him. Which is what this ring is. This ring used to be on my wedding finger until the day that Eric proposed to me. Because it was a reminder. Most people say it's a purity ring. I always say it was way more than that. It was a reminder that I have a husband. That I don't need my fulfillment in another person. I already have it in Christ. Um, so I believe God takes us through seasons where he shows different sides of himself to us depending on what we need. I also went through a season where I needed a best friend and he became that to me. God knows where you are and what you need. And he will become that to you in every season of your life. All right. Truth number four on page. Someone. Six. six. A new clean slate. Um, I'm going to read 1 Peter 2, 24. Is it on the next page or is it the same? No, it's the same. All right. Uh, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. God stretched back into the past and out into the future, into the years that had not yet come, gathering all sin, put it on the Lord Jesus. And this links with what I was saying earlier, is that there is no more punishment. If you are saved, the punishment has been taken and borne by Jesus. Everything you have done, everything you're doing, everything you will do, the punishment has already been paid. Consequences can still happen. You can't sleep around outside of marriage and then when you fall pregnant, pray for the baby to disappear because you repented 
of fornication. The consequence of your sin is there, but there is no punishment for you for doing what you did if you've truly repented and your relationship with God can be immediately restored when you repent. Um, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, your sin has been removed and you have a clean slate. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And I'm going to camp there a moment. That word condemnation we have to make a distinction as Christians. When you sin, there are two things that can happen. You can be condemned by the enemy or you can be convicted by the Holy Spirit. You should feel something when you sin. If you're truly redeemed by Christ, sin should grieve you. It should have an effect on you. However, the thoughts that enter your head Determine who is putting those thoughts there. This is what condemnation sounds like. Let's say uh, Eric lied to me. You'll never change. <laughs> yes. Condemnation from the enemy is you are a liar. You are still just as bad as you've always been. You don't deserve your wife. You're not really a Christian. You suck. You will never measure up. You will never be able to stop lying. Stuff like that. Anyone here never heard those types of thoughts in their life? Anyone? Okay. That's the enemy. And that is not from God. Conviction, on the other hand, is from God. This is what conviction sounds like. Eric, that lie you told? Shouldn't have done that. You should apologize and tell the truth. It's a soft correction, letting you know that you've gone off the path. And then you say, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, Holy Spirit. And you feel peace because he's, it's fine. It's over. I just wanted to let you know that wasn't cool. You know? We know you, all, you can do better. You can be better than that. You are better than that. Born again. And I just wanted to touch on one thing when you were saying that there's no um, the reason why there's no punishment or there's no price to pay for your sin is because with with Jesus' death back in the, before that you had to make sacrifices for your sin, and so that was like one of the you know what people would do is they would have to make for people who didn't know the don't know the New Testament you as well. You had you were always sacrificing stuff. I mean, really, they sacrificed so many animals, it could feed like the world a giant barbecue. It'd be so crazy, <laughs> and um, because it was just like that's what. And when Jesus died, that was our sacrifice. That's the reason why we don't sacrifice anymore. Yeah. So, four point three. Hopefully, it's the same. Six. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, you are no longer a sinner, but a saint as far as God is concerned. Um, I'm going to read that verse. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, sorry, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. 
but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. When you are in the world, before you get saved, you are identified by your sin. You aren't a person who lies, you are a liar. You aren't a person who stole something, you are a thief. That is your identity, is who you are, and you will be judged for it. You are a sinner. But when you are saved, you are no longer a sinner, you are a saint. You are a saint who sometimes still sins, but you are not a sinner. It's not your identity anymore, it's not who you are. So you are no longer a thief. Though you may be someone who occasionally, if you're a kleptomaniac who's still struggling with it, you may occasionally still steal, but the Holy Spirit is working on that sin with you. And you're becoming more like Christ over time. If you feel condemned about it. Hmm? If you feel condemned. Convicted? Convicted, Convicted. sorry. (laughs) Sheesh. Erased! I was just told, I was literally just given the the definition for that like 10 minutes ago. And I'm just referring to food uh, right now. That's it. When I like steal food, when you say, oh, don't oh, eat he's this. He's feeling and then convicted. I... That's what's happening right here. It's like, oh, he's telling him to stop stealing my candy. <laughs> <laughs> it's still stealing. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I want you to keep that in mind because this is something that Christians forget. We hear thoughts. And we forget to distinguish where that thought is coming from. Listen to the way the thought is being portrayed to you. Is it accusing you? Is it making you feel bad, guilty, dirty, useless, sinful? It's from the enemy. Is it making you feel regret? Is it making you feel like you've hurt the Holy Spirit? Is it making you feel like, oh, I wish I had done better? That's God. Truth number five, a new quality of life. 1 John or 1 John 5 verse 11 to 13. Elizabeth is laughing because mm-hmm. I always say 1 John and 1 Corinthians. And they call them little Johns. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> <laughs> little. <laughs> And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I have written unto you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. Um, This will come up a bit later. Yeah, in truth nine. But I'll touch on it here. You don't have eternal life when you die. You have eternal life from the moment you get saved. Because according to scripture, we were dead in our sins. Dead people have no life. People who are still sinners, people who are still in the world, who haven't accepted Christ as their savior, they are dead. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, And God warned them, if you eat of this fruit, you will die. He wasn't lying. Because did anyone notice that they ate it and they didn't drop down dead? 
But two things happened. They died immediately spiritually. There was a spiritual separation from God that happened that was only restored when Jesus Christ came. And then physical death entered the world. God was gracious enough to make sure that that physical death didn't happen immediately so that they had time to fix their mistake. Thank goodness that we don't die immediately every time we sin. We have a big problem. Um, but you are dead spiritually until Christ comes and gives you a heart of flesh. The word says that we have a heart of stone, but he comes and his word is the hammer that breaks the rock in half. And he comes and he gives us a heart of flesh and he revives us. Um, there's a, uh, a piece in Ezekiel, if Rachel was here, she'd be like, yeah, because she loves this and I love it, where there's a valley full of dead, dry bones, like dry. They've been there a while. And God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, I love his response. And I love it, the old, old James way. It says, oh, Lord, you know. I love it. It's just like, it's almost like he kind of knows this might be a trick question. <laughs> so he's like, well, I could say yes. And then God's like, no, I mean, obviously it's dead, right? Or he could say no. And God's like, have you no faith? So Ezekiel's just like, you know. <laughs> and, and the more modern translations, it says, you alone know the answer to that which is a very wise response. <laughs> and then God says, prophesy over these bones um, that they would start to have flesh on them again. So he prophesies and flesh starts to form on the bones um, and skin and they're joined together and there are people, but they're dead. And then he says, prophesy again. Um, and the spirit of God comes and fills the dead bodies and it raises up an entire army and so it's the same spiritually we are dead but when god comes his spirit revives us and we are once again alive spiritually for those of us who've been truly saved we know there's a change even though you were alive before something is very different now for me even the small things have changed like nature like, I could see stuff was pretty, but I was like, okay, yeah, that's pretty. And then over time, and I actually prayed this and I said, God, help me to see nature the way you do it. Because people are like freaking out and I'm just like, it's, I mean, it's nice, but okay. And I prayed that and oof, after that, I tell you, I watch documentaries and I cry. I just like, oh. God, it's so beautiful. <laughs> Why can't you say okay. that about like bugs and stuff? Because Satan created bugs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's my doctrine. That's all the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I believe Satan counterfeits everything God creates. So then God created birds and he was like, here's a bug. And God created like land animals and he's like, here's a worm and stuff like that. So, that's not in the Bible. It's just me being funny, but deep down, I kind of half believe it. <laughs> um, and so that eternal life starts the moment you're saved and it carries on. When Christ comes, we're given a new body. We will continue to live that eternal life with him. Um, and 
don't know if I have another point in there. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a, another verse, I think it's also in Ezekiel, where it speaks about, um, there's this woman, he's referring to Israel, but he's referring to her as really dirty, covered in blood and gunky, like gross. Like imagine a newborn baby that no nurses touch. <laughs> Eric hates newborn baby uh, pictures. Like, he can't deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, and God says he comes and he cleans. And once it's clean and uh, this baby starts to grow into this beautiful woman. It's had like comes, six or ten baths. He comes and he clothes her and he puts jewelry on her and clothes her in royal clothes and just makes her beautiful and adorns her. And that's a picture of eternal life too. We were there in our own blood, spiritually dead, dying, filthy. And God comes and he washes us. And not only washes us, he clothes us in royal clothes. And he gives us gifts of jewelry. And he makes us beautiful to behold. That the whole world looks and says, wow, she's beautiful. He's amazing. Or Yannick's beautiful. <laughs> that beautiful. You're beautiful. Oh, you're beautiful to me. You <laughs> your joy will also be deeper that doesn't mean you don't experience sadness but you get over the point where you're not just feeling happiness because happiness is sporadic you can feel happy and five minutes later you can be sad but joy is something different joy is something deep down in you that can't be stolen from you and you can be experiencing sadness but underneath it, there can still be a sense of joy because it comes from a trust knowing that he's got you and it's going to be okay. I'm sad that I have to go get a job now that I've graduated, but I have joy because I know God helped this happen. So I am going, I know I will be, I will get the perfect job. Amen. So I can be a stay at home wife and just preach the gospel. <laughs> I mean, if somebody wants to pay me that much money, then I'm all down for it. All right. That would be a God blessing. On the flip side, at least this is what I experienced, your sorrow will be deeper. Because once you have realized what it is to grieve God or what it is for a person not to know God, those things will start to touch you more. For a lot of people, that extends to other things. When they see poverty... When they see slavery, they're more deeply moved because they start to experience the emotions that God has when he looks at those things. Uh, John 10, verse 10 at the bottom. Maybe That's crazy. John 10. I need to just get a new book. Yes. This is the same book I've been teaching this course out of for so she doesn't I want to know, seven, eight years. Um, it's got all my notes. I don't want to have to write notes again. Um, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. God didn't just come to give you life. He came to give you abundant life, full of life. Your life should be different now. It should have new meaning, new purpose, new destiny. I was going through the motions of my life before I encountered Jesus for real during these courses. 
I had a general direction. Like I was like, okay, I'm gonna have a career, I guess, and I guess I'll get married and have kids. But when I got saved, <laughs> I know, right? You're still working number three there. <laughs> uh, I don't want children. That's why he's laughing. Um, when I got saved, suddenly everything was different. Now it was like, oh my word, my life has meaning. My life has purpose. I have a calling. I have a destiny. I'm important. If I don't do what God, 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 if I don't do what God has called me to do, no one else will. Like there'll be a gap in the universe and it'll be my fault. And at the same time, then again, this is the thing of sorrow becoming deeper. Anytime where I would move away from God, I would feel way more depressed because I realized deep down that if I'm not living for him, I'm living for nothing. Like it's worse off now. Now that I know what there is, life is worse when I'm not following that path. Be careful also of what the enemy does because he's going to do everything he can to ruin that abundant life that Christ is trying to give you. And that is why what we're going to be covering in these courses, however far we manage to get in eight weeks, even if it's only through one, are put in place to give you tools to fight back when the enemy is trying to steal the abundant life that Christ is trying to give you. Kind of, kind of mention how, you know, when you're dead, you're kind of just laying there. Being dead is easy because you don't have to do anything. You, uh, I mean, you're just laying there. You're just like, I'm dead, you know. But when you're alive, life you have life is, you have you to stand up. You have to move. You have to think. You have to breathe. You, you have, have to, to eat. eat. You, yeah. you have so many responsibilities. And understand that, you know, when you are born again, you are alive and that it's not going to be as easy as being dead you know and so um some people and some i've even struggled with the same thing where you want to go back to that who doesn't want to just be like laying in bed like you know i'm dead watching netflix you know like because it's easy it's relaxing it's you know you don't have to do nobody's telling you what to do who to be and stuff but um when you are born again you um, you have the choice to be dead again in, in, in a way um, or to be stagnant or, you know, drop down that, uh, that graph. So I just wanted to kind of say that that's something I've started to realize, um, especially reading this and that analogy is that it is harder to be alive um, because God is asking a, more of us, you know, and he's asking, he's, you know, there's more uh, to life now and there's um, things you have to be held accountable so with mm-hmm. okay great all right so we'll stop there and we'll carry on truth six next week uh if you don't have your name on your book please write it on there and you'll get it back next week um i'm hoping to start to get to the good stuff it looks like it's not going to happen next week with the week after but we move slowly so we can grow. Um, The homework that I gave last week is the same this week. Uh, Please read through. I know it's going to sound like a lot, but just bear with me. Please read Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 20. Yes, 20 chapters. And 
1 Corinthians 12 through to chapter 14. So the end of 14. It sounds like a lot, but I did the math. And if you read 10 minutes a day, you can finish in two weeks. So by the time we get to the part that's centered on what's happening in Acts and Corinthians, you will have finished. If you just read 10 minutes a day, or if you're like a gung-ho person, two hours and you can get it all done. So if you're like me, who always crammed the night before an exam, two hour version is for you. For the rest of you smart, efficient, wonderful students, you can do 10 minutes a day and you'll make it through 23 chapters in total. Um, while you're reading, if you're not a person who is heavily like upset if you touch your Bible with a pen or pencil, I would ask that as you're reading, underline or highlight every time you see baptism, water, Holy Spirit, Spirit, and anything that sounds like it could have to do with the Holy Spirit. So a gift of the Holy Spirit or tongues or anything that sounds like it's related, underline. If you're like on the fence about whether you can touch your Bible, use a very light 2H pencil and you can erase it afterwards and you can ask God for forgiveness. And you print off. <laughs> huh? You print. You or have that. a lot of paper to waste. If you have a lot of paper to waste. I'm a very big fan of highlighting my Bible and, sorry, and making notes in it because I find it easier to find things I'm looking for. And I often notice that things that I highlight, God will bring to my attention as answers to prayers years later. Like I'll be reading and something that I highlighted, I'm like, whoa, that's what I needed right now. Um, also, when I'm telling people some things in the Bible, and I can't remember what it is. I've probably highlighted it if I'm talking about it. So it helps me find it and not look like I'm lying.